0: Welcome to another exciting podcast from Living Faith Church. It's our hope and prayer that today's message will bring you closer and deeper to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here is our lead pastor, Pastor Dean Hackett. Daniel was a man of God living in a pagan culture. He was born in Jerusalem, but he was taken captive. When Babylon, under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, conquered Judah, took Jerusalem, and he and several other Jewish men were taken into captivity, and they were brought in and selected for special training and special teaching uh, in the the Babylonian kingdom. Now... Daniel and his three friends embraced that training, but only up to the point that it infringed upon their faith in Almighty God and their authentic worship of Him. The Babylonian culture was a, a culture that was that was humanistic. It was pagan. They, they worshipped several different idols, but it also had a monotheistic religion of Zoroastrian religion. And it was into that culture that they were being trained. And so they, they refused, even though it cost them uh, persecution, even though they were misunderstood, even though they had to make appeals at times, <clears throat> they, they refused to compromise their faith in the living God and his authentic worship. And in spite of that, they continued to be honored, they continued to receive promotions in the Babylonian government. And and it was like they they just continued to move up and become having greater and greater presence and authority inside that pagan culture. Now, Daniel chapter 6 verses 10 and 11 reveal to us why that was made possible. Read it with me if you would, please. <clears throat> now, when Daniel, I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't. hear you. Want to read it with me? Join me? Here we go. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, And prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Did did you catch the golden nugget there of what made it possible for Daniel to continually advance and see blessing in his life even in the pagan culture? From his earliest days as a child, he had developed a pattern of an upper room relationship with Almighty God. And he went to that relationship three times a day. And even though he was in a pagan culture, even though he was in a humanistic culture, and even though he knew it was going to bring persecution and at times rejection. He refused to compromise. He refused to abate his worship and his relationship with Almighty God. And as a result of that, he continued to see great blessing in his life. But make no mistake, make no mistake, Daniel was in A spiritual war. When it says here, look at that third line down. Then these men assembled. Now, who is that referring to? Well, under this now, at the time of Daniel chapter 6, the Babylonian empire has been conquered by the Medo-Persian empire. And it's no longer King Nebuchadnezzar that he's serving under. He's serving under King Darius the Mede. Under under King Darius, there were three presidents that he had appointed in the empire to help him lead the empire. Daniel was the leading president. Under those three presidents, there were 120 princes throughout the empire. And those three presidents and those 120 princes were the leading men that that gave management to the empire for the king <clears throat> two of the presidents and the 120 princes hated daniel they hated his faith because they they believed that his faith and his service to almighty god hindered and was dangerous to the king and to their culture <clears throat> and so they they wanted him removed and so they they Coerced King Darius into signing into law, a law that made it illegal for Daniel to practice his worship and to practice his prayer life, knowing, knowing that Daniel's faithfulness and his stance that he would not compromise. See, they knew he wouldn't compromise. The other thing they knew was that King Darius loved Daniel. Daniel was a man of such integrity, of impeccable character, and King Darius admired his devotion to his God. But they hated him, and they wanted him removed. And so they were watching. And of course, knowing knowing that that legislation had been signed into law, what did Daniel do? Daniel went home and he kept his three times of prayer each day anyway, right? Now watch this. Listen closely. Daniel's upper room relationship with Almighty God opened the window for God to be able to work on his behalf. Hear it again. Daniel's upper room relationship with Almighty God opened the window for God to be able to work on his behalf. I said, Daniel's upper room relationship with Almighty God made it possible for Almighty God to work on his behalf. See, sometimes... We, we wonder, why don't we see God work? Why don't we see God move? Why isn't God intervening? And the reason is because you have the door to the upper room closed. Amen. Amen. Daniel went to his room, and he prayed. And, of course, what happened? They charged him with violating the law. He was arrested. He was found guilty, and he was sentenced to death. Death in the lion's den. Here's the neat thing, though. So he, he's thrown into the lion's den, but, but King Darius doesn't want this. That's not what he wanted, but he couldn't override the law. And so early the next morning, Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. Early the next morning, here comes King Darius to the lion's den, and he cries out, "Oh Daniel, oh man of God, who serves your God continually. Was your God able to save you from the lions? I love Daniel's answer. O king, live forever. Can you just see the relief on the king's face when he hears the answer back? Yes. Yes. O king, live forever. My God has sent an angel who shut the mouths of the lions. Pastor Aaron, his upper room relationship made it possible and gave space for God to be able to work on his behalf. See, if God has to, he'll send an angel on your behalf. I love, I love King Darius' response. I, I love this. I love this. you got to read it with me. Here we go. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and steadfast forever, his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. Wow. He delivers and rescues, and he works, and signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Come on, give God a praise. Amen. I love that, don't you? I love it. When God, the scripture says that the heart of the king is in the hands of God, and he turns it like rivers of water. See, he turns it. See, God can work. Oh, yeah, God can work. And we see it time and time again in history, God working. Are you aware that like Daniel, we're in a spiritual war? Oh, I I know, it is really not popular today to talk about Christians being warriors. And in fact, in some circles, it's anathema to even refer to Christians being in warfare and and being being warriors. I uh, I, I like what Arthur Matthews wrote in the preface of his famous book, Born for Battle, published by Overseas Ministries Fellowship. He wrote this, My burden relates to the flood of evil that the devil is pouring into the world. And at the same time, the passivity of many of God's saints as they view the state of affairs and their ignorance of the part God expects them to play in his warfare against Satan. Surely, this is not the time of God's soldiers to withdraw into passivity to put reality out of their minds. But see, I I, I think there's way too many Christians today that, that... They're they're so wore out with the stuff of life. They're so busy with their work and then with their play and with their schedule that they don't really get it. They're so busy driving their kids to this activity and that activity and this other activity. And they're keeping their kids busy in sports thinking that sports will keep them off of drugs and and, and out of the the dangers of the world, not understanding that it's not sports that will keep them out of that activity. It is a strong spiritual walk with Almighty God that will keep them out of that activity. We got it confused. And they're wore out, and, and they're wore out and, and, and they, 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 they've closed their eyes to what's really, really happening. It, it's interesting because from Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, when it says, And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Listen, subdue it and take dominion. The Hebrew words for subdue and take dominion are military terms. Right from the very beginning, God is using military terms because he knows there's a warfare. And you go from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Revelation chapter 20, when after the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ puts on his royal robes, puts on his crown, puts on his his, uh, cloak that is dipped in blood. He puts on His girdle which has on it king of kings and lord of lords. He puts on his breast that says the truth. And he mounts a white stallion. Listen. And all of his saints behind him mount horses. And we come back with him. And we fight the armies of the nations of the earth. To establish the rule of Jesus Christ on earth for 1,000 years. From Genesis to Revelation, Almighty God is saying it is a war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Lucifer, between the kingdom of love and the kingdom of hate, between the kingdom of truth and the kingdom of lies and deception and distortion, between the kingdom of purity and holiness and the kingdom of evil and wickedness, between the kingdom of destruction and death and the kingdom of eternal life. And we, dear ones, are in a war. And the war is for your soul and for the soul of your sons and your daughters. Oh, it's not, it's not a war of rockets and bombs and cannons and bullets. It's a spiritual war. It's a war of spiritual strongholds. It's a war of ideology and reasoning and philosophies, and moral values. It is a war of worldview. It's a war. Very real war. The leading authors and media pundits for critical social justice, Black Lives Matter, critical race theory and intersectionality and the LGBTQ+, their authors and their media pundits are openly now saying that Christianity, and the Christian church, and the Holy Bible is dangerous. And they're doing everything within their power to make policies and to pass legislation against the Christian faith, and against the Holy Bible. In schools, in the marketplace, in the business community, in the public arena, they want it completely removed. And and it's being faced. There are hundreds of CEOs, managers, supervisors, university presidents, university deans, that have lost their positions, lost their jobs, lost their careers because they openly spoke about their Christian faith and what the Christian faith says about critical social justice, about Black Lives Matter, about critical theory and intersectionality, and about the LGBTQ uh, movement. They, they, They have lost their... And folks, there are people in the workplace, there are people... Right here in this room, they face in their workplace great danger if they openly speak about their Christian faith and their Christian view and what they believe the Bible says about that kind of socialist, communist agenda, about that kind of moral impurity and what Holy Scripture calls an abomination. And they're in trouble if they openly speak about it because we are in a spiritual war. Make no mistake about it, folks. The whole thing of sheltering in place was an effort to try and shut down the church. And the sad part is a significant majority of the church knelt the knee and they shut down. And a significant part of the Christian movement in America is beginning to adopt those very ideologies and making it a part of their doctrine. Because rather than stand like Daniel, they are bowing to find acceptance and to, and, and to be at peace in this culture. And Almighty God has not called his church to be at peace in a pagan, humanistic, immoral culture. He has called his church to be salt and light in this culture. Yes, with love we speak the truth. We don't hold up signs. You're not going to find me out there protesting and holding up signs. You're not going to find me out there in that kind of a situation. What you are going to find, though, is you're going to find that I very much will not compromise my faith no matter where we stand, no matter how dangerous to me. When we took our stand in 2020, and we said, you know what? The state doesn't tell us how to worship God. The Holy Scripture tells us how to worship God. Yeah. Not the state. That is that is an overstep of the state. And yes, God has given authority to governments. Yes, it's clearly in Scripture. But he put a boundary on that. And the state was never to step in to that arena. That is not their part. And when we took our stance, oh, listen. Oh, we were, we, were, we were out on a limb. But hallelujah, when, when you get out on the limb with Almighty God, He doesn't saw it off. Come on, amen? amen. <clears throat> Our children are at great risk. Your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren are at great risk. They're in a great spiritual war. Oregon is right now releasing a whole new curriculum across the state. And unfortunately, it is more indoctrination than it is education. And, and there are so many of our teachers, and we have so many teachers in our, in, in our church family. And I've, I've lost track. It's, it's more than a dozen of them in our church family. And they love God and they want to serve God with all their heart. And they want to teach those children. They want to give them a good education. And their heart is broken by the curriculum. And, and, but they're in a spot with the, with the teachers union and with the Oregon Education Association. They really, they really don't have an option here. And so what they're going to try and do with prayer and love, they're going to try and still give those children an education. But dear ones, we have, are in a war for the souls of our sons and our daughters. And it is not a time that we can be passive. We are long past the time when we can be passive. I want to share something. I, I, I shared a little bit about it on Wednesday night, and I didn't say it very well. And uh, uh, it, it didn't, I don't think it came across well, and uh, uh, I, I want to just share something that I have observed over the last 30 years. In the 1980s, seniors took a whole new philosophy on life, and, and it, was, it, was, it was declared by the bumper sticker that said, we're spending our kids' inheritance, And the whole idea was this. We're getting getting a motor home. We're getting a camper trailer. We're we're getting a camper, uh, and and we're just going to tour. And they unplugged, and they did their thing. And they unplugged, leaving, leaving a generation of grandchildren without the influence of grandma and grandpa. They didn't have grandma that that had time to say, come on over and bake cookies with me. Grandpa had time to walk with them and look at pollywogs and woolly worms and didn't have time to spend that time because they were, they were doing their thing. They were being selfish and doing their thing. And, and, and I watched it through the 80s and the 90s and into this millennium generation of children that did not have that influence from grandma and grandpa. And at the same time that was going on, there was a greater and greater unplugging from parents as they were giving their kids to the professionals to be raised, giving their kids to the coaches to be raised. They were putting them in the public school and they were putting them in the the sports programs and the parents were busy with stuff, working and paying for the house and doing the stuff. Paying for the two and three cars, and paying for the color TVs and all the bedrooms, and they were they were giving their kids stuff, but not giving them themselves. And we're seeing the outcome of that, but I'm watching God do a very interesting thing, because now in the last five to ten years, what's happening is it's reversing, and now the grandparents are having to be parents and the grandkids are coming to their home to live and they and and now and 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 listen and here's the amazing thing what that's doing is that is giving godly grandparents the opportunity now to bring into the lives of those kids a godly influence that hadn't been there before and you get to pour into them the holy scripture you get to model for them a godly life you get to share with them and oh listen let's seize the moment Let's not miss this opportunity that God is giving to us to be able to bring that influence back into their life. The souls of our children are at stake here. LFC has the finest children's ministry. I mean the finest children's ministry. Our our super kids on Sunday morning, our discipleship, program on Wednesday nights is the finest. It is top shelf. And the reason that we have spent so much time, so much energy, so much money to put that kind of a children. We don't babysit kids here. We believe God's call is for us to disciple those kiddos, that they receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Go ahead. Give God a praise. To reach them with the gospel for them to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit and to disciple them. We even, for, for fourth and fifth graders, they can be in a junior deacon program in our children's ministry and start er, learning really early some of the leadership things so that when they get into fusion, by the time they're juniors and seniors in high school, they can get into student leadership there and get another level of leadership training so by the time they get out of high school, they can get into our adult leadership training and know how to be strong Leaders, discipleship leaders in the business community or in Christian ministry, if God calls them to that. But you see, that's our goal is to raise disciples from the childhood clear up through adulthood to make strong disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're fighting for the souls of our children. You know what our greatest need is? You. We need moms and dads in there. We need grandmas and grandpas in our children's ministry. That's our greatest need. Men and women who see the vision that we've got to reach this next generation because if not, the devil's going to steal them. We've got to reach them. we got to reach them. And we need moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas that will have a passion and a heart for that vision and will say, you know what, I can do that. I can volunteer there. I'll be a part of that. Dear ones, listen, we can't be passive one more day. God's called us to warfare. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. My voice is better. Can you notice? Thanks for the prayer. The the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, and he said this. He said, though we live in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Did you catch that? He said, as Christians, we're supposed to be warriors And then he went on to say this. He said, for the weapons, get that. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, they're not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down vain imaginations, every proud thing that exalts itself against the true knowledge of God. See, he was saying, we're in a war. But Almighty God has given us the weapons we need for that war. And they're spiritual weapons. They're not fleshly weapons. They're spiritual weapons. It's not fists. (laughs) It's not not fighting somebody with your tongue. If you're going to fight somebody with your tongue, go to the upper room and fight there. See, your greatest weapon is your upper room. That's your greatest weapon. I want to say it again. I don't think you heard it. Your greatest weapon is your upper room. That's your greatest weapon. Now, I know today we don't, we don't build an upper room on the, on the rooftop like they did back in the Hebrew culture. I get that. But you know what? Yours can be in your closet. Mine's in, mine's in our, our family room. Man, i got to tell you, there's times Jesus and I have amazing times together. Almighty God wants you to have an upper room area where you go and you have that relationship with Him. That's your greatest weapon. Because, see, here's what many of us don't understand. See, we, we fight not from a position of almost being defeated. We don't fight from a position, listen, of almost being defeated. We fight from a position of victory. When we go against the devil, we have already won. Can you imagine what it would be like for the Super Bowl team, for the NBA team, for the college basketball team, to go into that championship game knowing they've already won, that there's absolutely no way on this planet the other team can win. We get the ring. We got it. We get the trophy. We won. It's already in Philly. Really, is no point. Why are you even coming out on the court? Because we've already won. I don't know why you're doing this. And that's where we are. What do you mean? Listen, Jesus said this. He said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Okay, the first time Jesus is talking about building his church. This is right out of the box. The very first time Jesus is talking about building his church. That's you and me. The church isn't a building. The church is people. You and I are the church. Upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is not a defensive position. That's not you and I hiding behind the walls of the church and just hanging on till Jesus comes. That's not what it is. It is an offensive. Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church, and my church is going to be so strong and so offensive and so powerful and so mighty an army, the gates of hell can't even stand it. They can't hold it back. My church is going to plunder hell and populate heaven. It's offensive. And not only that, I'm going to give to them the keys of the kingdom. And whatever they bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever they loose on earth is loosed in heaven. I mean, how frustrating does that have to be to Satan, knowing that no matter what stronghold he builds, The church has the keys to open that door to that stronghold and plunder that stronghold for the kingdom of Almighty God. That's what Jesus meant when he said, He that believeth in me the works that I do, shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. If ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. That the Father may be glorified in the Son... If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. See, we can do the same works that Jesus did because he has given us the power of attorney to pray in his name. And when we sign his name, it is a done deal. When you, I think so often Christians when they pray and they go in the name of Jesus, they think it's like a punctuation mark. No, it's not. When you say, in the name of Jesus, you are actually placing the power of attorney on that document, on that prayer, and you are saying, Jesus signed this, it will be done. Yeah. Yeah. You're signing his name. You have the authority. Mark 16, he that believes in me. In my name, he will cast out devils. He will speak with new tongues. He shall take up serpents, if they drink any deadly thing it shall harm them. I love what he said to the disciples in Luke 10, 19. You ready? Look at it with me in scripture. Read it out loud. Real loud. Look, I gave you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over most of the power of the enemy and nothing shall by you. You're sounding confused. What's the matter? What's that? All All what? Uh Uh-huh. Over all the power of the enemy. Then how come so many Christians act like it's only some of the power? Huh? See, we've got to exercise our faith, don't we? That Jesus really has given us the authority. He's given us the authority. We have the advantage because we always fight from a place of victory and we have the authority. And so we can't be defeated. Adversity is normal Christian living, defeat is abnormal. We're not supposed to be defeated. Adversity, struggles, trials, that's normal Christian living. Depression is abnormal. Bound with worry is abnormal. Living in constant stress and anxiety is abnormal. Living in resentment and bitterness is abnormal. See, these are all tools of the enemy to keep you believing you're defeated and you can't live better. And Almighty God says to you, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Look here. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Come on. Come on.